Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? We are live with the awesome Super Bowl Final Look Show. I'm your host, Matt Kajeski. You can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Kajeski. I'm here with my old friend, Kyle Dvorak. You could say we have a history together. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Tweets here. And the best thing about the Super Bowl show, Kyle and I get to talk about our one and only favorite player, Sammy Watkins, which I am super excited for, super excited for the game. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I've been, we, you know, we've been gone for like two weeks. You were on a show, actually, I listened to it, so you weren't gone. I was gone for two weeks, and I come back some fat new beats by Jordan. I don't think he actually makes the beats, but I, he at least produces the show. So we get some new beats. We get to talk about Sammy Watkins. Like, you can't ask for a better show, honestly. I like this idea that Jordan creates the beats. Jordan, That's great. actually a really cool idea. Jordan, if you start creating beats, I will definitely start touting them on my Twitter but before we get started, guys, thank you guys all for being here. It is bright and early on a Saturday morning. It is a cold Saturday morning up in Wisconsin where I'm from. But we want to thank you guys for being here. We appreciate you very much. And don't forget to hit that like button before we get started. Subscribe to the channel. That way you can see all of the offerings that Osmo has as well as it supports Kyle, myself, and the entire team here. But we have a very exciting game. We, of course, have the Super Bowl, Kansas City taking on Tampa Bay the first time there will be a team playing at home in the Super Bowl. Right now, we have Kansas City favored by a field goal. The total has come down a bit, sitting around 56, 55 and a half in most books after opening around 57. And of course, we are here to talk about showdown. So there's a lot to get to, but I want to start with the injuries. We've now had two weeks for these players to get healthy. So we'll start with the big fantasy names for DFS. Then we'll talk maybe about some other players that could influence the game. For Tampa Bay, I think it's basically just Antonio Brown, who positively returned to a full practice. I think we'll see him play in full capacity. And if you're doing anything like prop betting, he's actually being priced as if he'll be limited. In DFS, he's kind of priced as if he'll be limited. I think we see a full go from Antonio Brown. And then we have our favorite player, Sammy Watkins, projected to return. He has not played since week 16. Anything I'm missing for the DFS-centric players, Kyle? Uh, we had Cameron Brake pop up as questionable, but I think it was another one of those, uh, like Sammy Watkins is questionable. He's widely expected to play. I think Cameron Brakes was the same situation, like maybe tweaked his knee in practice and like 
at this point in the season, like, is that one final practice going to help you that much? I would assume not, but uh, getting to some approximation of healthy will actually be useful. So I think again, another guy questionable going to play, but you know, as always, like we should definitely monitor these and like, like ignoring the fact that this maybe has some negative implications for the player's health. I really hope we get like a late, a surprising late scratch because especially with all the soft action you get on the Super Bowl, like multiply that by, we know the field, like, if we get news an hour and a half before the game starts, so little of the field will be reacting to it relative to like what an efficient reaction would be like hundred percent of people are at least thinking about it, considering it and then saying, well, how many people react? No one is doing that. Like we saw it, I think was like Tony Pollard uh, in late in the season with the, the late scratch Zeke. We saw it in the playoffs with um, I think Sammy was like a, a kind of a surprising scratch and Clyde uh, was on the second day of a two game or a two day uh slate they combined the slates on saturday sunday and not nearly enough people adjusted so on the off chance that we do get any sort of late scratch news whether it be Bray watkins you know or someone else we're not expecting i will just be pivoting to a ton of the guy that that benefits because not enough people will be doing what i'm doing i think at least you're absolutely right. And that the situation I was going to bring up was Kansas City earlier in the playoffs with Clyde Edwards Slayer. If that happens, we are certainly going to see the field probably not react to the degree they should. But before we head off of injuries, again, there's not too much for the skill position players. Everyone is who is supposed to play looks like they're on track to do so. For the non-skill position players on Tampa Bay, even everyone in this cohort is expected to play as well. Levante David, Jordan Whitehead, Antoine Winfield have now all had two weeks to rest up. The main edge I think we could potentially exploit for injuries comes on the Kansas City side, where it looks like we won't see Mitchell Schwartz or Eric Fisher. Those are two starting linemen for Patrick Mahomes and two of his betting start, better starting linemen at that, which could be significant against Tampa Bay's strong front seven. Is there anything else we've missed for injuries? Anything you think that could create potential edges? Yeah, I think maybe there's like a small edge in this uh, this. Kansas City offensive line thing, but I do think because this is such a public game, both like from a betting perspective, but also from a DFS perspective, I think people are generally kind of uh, like at least knowledgeable of the situation. Maybe they're not changing too much because like, what are you going to do? Not play Patrick Mahomes? Like, no, but maybe there's like a small edge in getting some Tampa Bay defense. I was probably already doing some of that anyways, just because I think in this like uh, high scoring game, we're going to see the less flashy options. Your kickers and defenses may become in a little under owned. So maybe I'm just like confirming my priors of saying like, oh, now it's another reason to go with these kind of contrarian defense approaches, uh, not super defense heavy, but a little more maybe contrarian. I'm not sure if this actually makes a huge change to that or I just want to spin it to a thing I already wanted to do anyways. Yeah, ultimately, it's good for the Super Bowl. Everyone we want to play should be out there. And speaking of some of these flashy options, let's get into the DFS talk. We're going to go a little bit position by position just for the sake of the discussion points, but we'll mix in all of your roster construction game theory points as we move along. And we're going to start with the quarterback position right now, looking at Osmo.com's projections. We have both Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady projected for over 300 yards passing. My first question here, just from an overall game standpoint, do you think this matchup favors one quarterback versus the other? We just mentioned Mahomes playing without two of his offensive linemen, and then game script projects to have Brady throwing here. So what do you make of the pass games on both sides? I mean, they should both be really good. I think the interesting thing is, uh, you know, no no hot takes here. No, like, uh, oh, man, this defense is really going to stifle Mahomes because uh, we, we have a small sample, a one-game sample. Doesn't seem to be the case. I know they're like a, a blitz-heavy team, or at least in that game they were. And, like, Mahomes is just so 
damn good. Like even when you do the thing that makes it so hard to be a professional quarterback and you get pressure, like it just doesn't phase me. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if not the best against blitz against pressure. So I think this expects to be another just like iconic shootout. Our projection, just our like median projection for Mahomes is I think north of 340 yards. That's like mind boggling. I don't know if we saw that at any point this season. And it's because both of these teams not only are really good passing offenses, they're not like the stupid passing offenses where you say like, why are you so efficient and never throwing? Like, you know, Russell Wilson has been for a lot of his career. They are number one and number two in passing rate in neutral game script on our advanced stats page. Like this is two teams that just do not care about running the football. And you should not when you have Mahomes or the GOAT. Like there is no reason to. I think that really just favors both passing attacks. I'm going to be trying to, instead of like getting really unique, although, you know, I think maybe there's some room for running back talk. Instead of getting really unique and going like, three running backs, defense kickers, you know, stuff like that. It's more about how do you build unique roster construction still around the concept of this is probably a pass heavy game. So looking at the DFS pricing, predictably we have Patrick Mahomes as the most expensive player in the utility slot. He is $12,000 on DraftKings. He also comes in with the most ownership on the slate. Not only that, the most ownership in the captain slot as well. I think this is all predictable. One thing I was not expecting is to see Tom Brady come in with the fourth fourth highest ownership. Now, it's not like he's drastically below Patrick Mahomes in ownership, but there is a significant drop here. He is the fourth most owned player. He's tied for the second most owned in the captain. So it looks like players aren't going to get to Tom Brady as much. Because of this and his 300-yard passing projection, I think there might be a little bit of an edge in targeting some Brady in your lineups. He's just coming in slightly north of 50%. So there's a potential edge here. We're usually seeing quarterbacks come in much higher on than that. But break down the quarterbacks from an ownership perspective. What are you doing with these two guys? Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be – I'll probably be over the field on both of them. I do think what you alluded to, though, will be a consistent theme in the way we're building rosters is that – like. These two teams are both incredible. There's not really like a like incredible reason to say you just can't play like you just can't play these bucks. Like there are games where like the Chiefs play bad teams and I'm more like throw out the bad team. Let's see how weird I can get building a good Chiefs lineup. This is not one of those those games. I think across every position we're going to be saying, yeah, the Chiefs are good, but these bucks are going like I don't want to say criminally under owned, but there's a probably a solid edge in saying like a three or three and a half, depending on like what your book is at you know, the juice basically makes it the same either way. A three-point spread is not unbeatable. It's a pretty close game. Like the money line is not going to say one of these teams are massively favored. But I do think in terms of ownership, just at every single position, maybe not running back, I guess, but every meaningful position, you're going to get Chiefs pretty far out ahead. And that really has me, unfortunately, because I like I don't want to not play the Chiefs. But the game theory aspect of it has me saying like, yes, I'll probably be having Chiefs but I think I'm going to be overloading on Bucks, and it starts with Brady. I think I'm probably still more inclined to go Brady flex and pass catchers in the captain, but I think maybe in small fields, you can actually even just get away with, like you said, like fourth highest ownership is not a lot for a quarterback. That's very minimal. So I actually think in small field, you can probably get away with just playing like the, the chalk, but only fourth highest chalk. If you want to say that Brady at captain in the largest tournaments, like, like the Millie maker 650,000 entries. Like you have to get so incredibly, unique and then you're still probably duplicating it's about lowering your dupes you're almost never going to get like a solo win i'd be shocked if we see a solo win so in large field i'm still not playing brady i'm getting like even more weird like i love the evans godwin 
in in large field, I think Brady is like the ideal pivot because of his price, because of his ownership, and the game projects to be good for both sides of the passing attack. Like you said, he has 300 yard equity, he has touchdown equity, and he's probably of the quarterbacks here the one who is more likely to throw four touchdowns to three different players. Like if Mahomes throws four or five touchdowns, we're probably getting a double score out of one of his pass catchers, and then that guy almost automatically passes him. Brady seems like he would be like it's pretty possible that Evan scores one and then they just like spread through the rest of the guys. That's a good point with Brady and a potential reason why you might like Brady in the flex for low risk contest, small fields. Ultimately I'm going to be trying to get both Mahomes and Brady, just such a high likelihood that they finish as the two highest scorers. It's really in those large field tournaments, your Millie maker type settings where I'm trying to, and I don't even want to say get away from these guys. I think it's more or less just flexing them instead of playing them in the captain where they both project for immense ownership. But I do think, Last of the field is going to be on Brady in the captain slot, not only because Mahomes is on the slate, but because Brady does spread to a lot of his options. And honestly, I think with the spread attack that could lend itself to Brady in the captain a little more often than Mahomes, if we're just looking at that Mahomes, like you mentioned, it's a slightly more condensed target share compared to Brady. So if this swings in Tampa Bay's way, if they win this game and Brady throws the four scores, he would need to for a captain slot. I think his target distribution being wider helps him in that context. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's not that I think Brady is more likely to outscore Mahomes. I think in the event that the Bucks outscore the Chiefs, you're more likely to be correct in picking the quarterback of the Bucks. I don't like, I think it's still most likely that Mahomes leads the slate in scoring, but his distribution is actually in the, I think it's 17 games that the trio of Chiefs have played together this season. It's seven where Mahomes leads, six that uh, Kelsey leads, and four that Tyreek Hill leads. Like, that's not a crazy distribution, but the ownership differential between, say, a Mahomes and a Hill, I think is going to, like, over-reflect that. So if I'm going Chiefs, which I'll be going Chiefs in some lineups, I'm almost never going Mahomes because I just think it's a closer, tighter distribution, the odds that his receivers outscore him than the field maybe projects. So, I like, it's like you said, I'm not – fading Mahomes I'm just fading him at captain I I do agree with that except in small fields and yeah. you know, we'll talk about we'll talk about quarterbacks a lot as we get to pass catchers but I think one of the burning questions on this slate is what do we do with both teams run games and there's significant concerns from both teams so if we look at Kansas City the favorable side of this they're projected to be in positive game script. Obviously, that lends itself to the run. The negatives for the running back, obviously, Kansas City is one of the pass-heaviest teams. They are the pass-heaviest team in neutral game scripts. It's a tough matchup, an incredibly tough matchup against Tampa Bay, who is the best run defense on the year. And then we have to project the timeshare. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been hurt most of the playoffs. He comes back in their last game, and it's actually Daryl Williams who looks more efficient. So we have significant concerns for a Kansas City running back room, even though they're in positive game script. On the other side, Tampa Bay is in negative game script, and they also have a timeshare. So as far as DFS purposes, these running backs are pretty hard. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hard to get to. Is there any, we'll start with Kansas City. Between Clyde Edwards Slayer and Daryl Williams, do you have a strong lean between these two in the run game? Definitely don't have a strong lean. I, I think I have a slight lean towards Clyde. I'll see what our projections have. I know I'm looking at the top stack tool. We have a slightly better chance that, uh, that Clyde ends up being the top overall scoring player. It's a very small chance, though. So I think it's Clyde. <laughs> I think last week in the first half, it was very clearly Clyde, too. It was that he outsnapped Daryl Williams in the first half. I think it was a 25 to 9, outcarried him 5 to 2, which should tell you how much this team actually cares about using their running back. So in the first half of, well, I guess it's not last week, two weeks ago now, it was Clyde edwards Lair. And then the second half, it was, they opened also with Clyde edwards Lair on the first drive. And then we hardly saw any of them for the rest of the game. I'm not sure if that's because like Daryl Williams is their closer, like the classic Daryl Williams hammer at the end of the games. I don't know if that's a thing. It doesn't seem incredibly likely, but uh, I think maybe it's just because they had after that first drive, a 12 point lead. Clyde edwards Lair was a rookie back coming off of a hip injury that sidelined him for a month and an ankle injury, I think too. Maybe they were giving him rest. I, I, I say this like trying to, we have these tea leaves. We can try and read them. I'm not incredibly confident. I would project Clyde to see slightly more of the running back carries. It's really difficult though, when it comes down to targets, because Williams has been a very adept pass catcher. Maybe you give him a slight edge in targets. I think overall, I'd probably lean Clyde. And at his price, I think he's like a bad value play, but I think the field probably recognizes that and maybe overcorrects or maybe not even overcorrects. It's just like, it's a way to get different. It's not like an incredible way to get different when you're going through lineups that can possibly take down like the Millie with 10 or less dupes. And they're still like not terrible lineups. I think maybe some like Clyde captain Clyde flex lineups end up populating up there, even if they're like pretty poor median projections. You and I were talking off the record last week. We were, we were talking about not last week, two weeks ago when we were talking NFL DFS, we were speaking on the breakdown of this Kansas city backfield. And one thing you said to me, which I, and you just reiterated it now was if Kansas city gets up in this game and their lead is comfortable, I think Clyde Edwards there comes out of the game, not because they want to pull him for talent, but because he's been so banged up down the stretch where if they're playing with a significant lead or the game is controlled, what point do they have to trot him out there? A banged up Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And now he just has two extra weeks of rest. So I do think the likelihood that Clyde Edwards Slayer sees more work, it's at least there and worth considering in a tournament sense. Ultimately, Clyde Edwards Slayer and Daryl Williams are probably players I'm going to leave out of my, my low risk and my small field, field builds. But in tournaments, we're seeing both of them come in right around 25% ownership and even less for Daryl Williams. So if you want to take a shot on these players, the upside is there. And with Kansas City and their immense total, I think the chance for them to score touchdowns is live and you could potentially look to that in your high risk contest, your Millie maker type settings. Is that kind of how you view these backs? Yeah. I think in anything like thousand, 5,000 less, I I probably don't even end up getting to them in the flex because they're just like that bad of median projection plays. Darrell Williams, price didn't get hiked crazy, which I'm kind of surprised. I thought he'd get uh, a little more steamed on his price, but he didn't. I mean, like they're not, he's not a terrible play. I do think like median projection Clyde doesn't look that good, but like the, the larger the contest you go, the, the more opponents you have to beat, the less you care about median projection You're willing to give up some of that, just like raw scoring potential 
just for the odds that things don't go as that median projects, when I'm only having to beat 999 people, like, yeah, it sounds kind of like a lot, but it's not 650,000. I'm not willing, I'm probably not at least willing to get down to these plays. I'll play more of just like, let's make one unique pivot at captain, you know, let's go down to like Tyreek, and then we'll play some of the chalk and then make one other pivot in the flex. In the Millie Maker, I'm like, well, let's play the dumbest possible captain. Let's not correlate these things because I know the field wants to correlate. Let's leave 2,000 on the table and play Anthony Sherman. I'm doing all these weird things because I think there's a chance this lineup gets first. Like, it's literally not mathematically eliminated, and I don't think many people are going to play it. So it really depends on your contest size. Low low stakes, you know, low entry. No, I'm not playing really any of the backs. I don't know. We can get in the next backfield. I think maybe there's an argument to play either of these two guys. The Chiefs backfield, though, I really, it's like, you're just, it's not almost not worth the risk that, you know, 50-50 split of 12 carries, like, that seems like the risk in in large stakes, sure, or in large contests, sure. In anything like 5,000 or less, no, I'm not getting to it. Yeah, you have to get it right twice. You have to get it right that the Chiefs actually run, and then you have to get it right who is the runner. And you and I are talking about just tons of tools we have at Awesome so I want to tell you a little bit about them. We talked about ownership. We've talked about top stacks, just raw projections. You can get access to all of the great tools Osmo Plus has to offer and content for nearly every DFS sport out there with an Osmo Plus weekly pass for $29.95. It includes premium access to all of the content and tools on Osmo, including projections, ownership projections, premium Slack, and much more. Again, all of that is available with Osmo Plus, which you can join today and There's actually one thing I want to bring up before we move on to Tampa Bay. This, I'm going to caveat this, is a strategy exclusive for the Millie Maker. Both of these running backs are unowned. If you play some sort of Chiefs onslaught and you play both Chiefs runners, I think you're looking at a unique. Would you agree? 650,000 is a lot. I'm not sure if you're looking. I can't guarantee you're. That's so crazy that I can't guarantee you're looking at a unique. But I mean, it's one of the best ways to at least approach that. Like this is like uh, more of I'm not trying to guarantee that I have one other person with my lineup. I'm just trying to push myself in that direction. So, yes, I think that would be one of the best ways to do it. Technically, part of the backfield, two questions I guess I can throw back. Any interest in in these same contests and only in these contests with 500,000 plus people, either of Anthony Sherman or Le'Veon Bell? In the Millie Maker, everybody who sees a snap is in play. Yep. I think I'm going to have... And the same with the play action and like the $1.20 max, which have like 500,000. So entries are, are basically the same style of contest. I think I'm going to have some Anthony Sherman lineups. He has a red zone target this year. And like, boy, if I saw him walk out in the field inside the five yard line, I'd already feel like a winner. With those lineups, you know, you're basically dead. The only yep. reason you're playing it is to get a unique, which was, obviously has equity. Was it? Yeah, exactly. Like you're playing for a lineup that literally is just like mathematically has its 99.9% outcome is that it wins and that it shares that same high-end ceiling with lineups that are going to be made a hundred times, even if it's, you know, less likely to achieve that. Wasn't, was it last year that we had a fullback in the winning lineup? Uh, use check maybe last year. <laughs> use check. I, I mean, the chiefs have thrown some touchdowns to some weird players. They like to use that. It's sort of a shovel pass screen to like their tight ends and stuff. We've seen some fullbacks get involved there. So we're not That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> so they do use that play. Just, they don't use it a lot. Yeah. So, I no. mean, Did sure. I, that's I only have, in the Millie maker. That's yeah, and those I wouldn't large play tournaments. I wouldn't play anything else, like anything less than five hundred thousand entries. I'm not getting to this dumb Anthony Sherman stuff, but like I'm just having dreams of Andy Reid, like in his office, just cooking up this Anthony Sherman sauce. 
Dude, we've talked too much about Anthony Sherman. We need to talk Tampa Bay backs. And unlike Kansas City, I have more interest in this backfield. Yep. And it's it's a little bit weird to say because they're the team that's projected for negative game script and they're still in a timeshare, but it is exclusively due to price. So we have Mahomes, Brady, Hill, Kelsey, Godwin, all of these studs. We need value in some fashion. And Ronald Jones comes out as one of the better value plays on the slate strictly because of price. Fournette has sort of moved ahead of Ronald Jones as far as lead back role, but I think that's largely because of injury. It's not all that long ago we saw Leonard Fournette healthy scratched from a game. So at Ronald Jones' current price, I think he has punt appeal. But what do you make of the Tampa Bay timeshare? How do you see this going? Yeah, Ronald Jones is one of the only prices that came out, and I was like, I don't know. if Like, I think that's kind of a a soft price in general, just like we've seen, I think it's a 29 to 23 Leonard Fournette has outcarried Ronald Jones in their two previous playoff games, like 10, 10 carries a game at 2,200. Like that's usually a price for a strict backup, like for like Tony Pollard at 2,200 or whatever. And he gets, you know, four carries and two targets. Like Ronald Jones legitimately has a chance to go out and get 13 carries and a target. So I think from that perspective, he is, he's probably one of the better value plays of the entire slate. Now you always have to balance that with like, I think in the large field contest, you're going to have a lot of people just making these lineups where they play a lot of the studs and Ronald Jones is the downright easiest way to build a good lineup that projects well, because he allows you to play those guys. And he still has a role. Like there are guys at his price, like sure, you can gain another what, like $1,400 by playing Le'Veon Bell. I don't know if Levy, like if he got healthy scratch, I wouldn't be shocked. Ronald Jones legitimately has a chance. Like he, he, I project him for close to 10 or more carries. So from that perspective, you're playing in, in low entry contest, go ahead and use him just to get a, a good lineup that projects well and still, you know, make some pivots. I think in a large field contest, uh, it's probably a player I'm just like comfortable Xing out. Cause I think everyone building with an optimizer is going to get a lot of Ronald Jones you have to make some some stands somewhere. We talked about playing Anthony Sherman. If we can get as dumb as talking about <laughs> playing Anthony Sherman, like I can cross out Ronald Jones. If he goes out and rushes 10 times for 30 yards like and doesn't catch a pass, it's kind of his thing is not catching passes. Uh, it's probably, I think, a good play. All right. So I agree with you. I think he'll be somewhat owned. I'm looking at the awesome ownership projections right now. And right now he's coming in as the 14th most owned player. We're talking 15% overall, which... I think at 15% on playing him, yeah. this is this is the question I want to ask you. What ownership level are you Xing him out? And what at 15% are you comfortable still rostering him? Because I think I am. Yeah, at 15, I I I think he'll come in higher. Like honestly, I'm not this I might think just so be, too. Yeah, this might just be like, you know, IKB. Well, I know better. Like, I'm not gonna say I can beat our uh ownership projections. Like if I went out and just hand hand writ all of our ownership projections. Like our ownership projections would kill me. They'd run laps around me. Well, they update throughout the week too. So make make sure you monitor this up until the Super Bowl. Yeah, but I do think in this one instance, I feel like I have a stronger indication of what's going to happen with Ronald Jones. And we've had this happen literally with Ronald Jones in previous slates where everyone calls him like, oh, he's the Leonard Fournette pivot. And he comes in 2% less owned than Leonard Fournette. I think maybe not directly as a pivot off of Fournette, simply as a value play on this slate where every content site, everyone is saying like, oh man, Ronald Jones, you're getting 12 carries. He's a, you know, he's got big playability at 2200. And from that perspective, it makes sense. But I think at even like 20 to 25% ownership, I'm willing to just fade him because I think he has a two point floor or even less, honestly. At 15 though, if he actually does come in at 15, I'll probably look back and kick myself and say, I probably should have at least matched the field on him. 
Well, the good thing about this is you can monitor the awesome ownership projections throughout the week and continue to update your 150 runs. We haven't talked about Fournette yet. So Leonard Fournette obviously has been the lead back of this tandem so far. Fournette comes in with the more expensive price. And just based on the sentiment that you and I have talked about and our feelings on the slate, it seems like Jones is going to be the pay down option. Is Fournette going overlooked? Maybe. I don't know. His his team uh, is not supposed to be winning this game. And even when they are in like close games, they don't run the ball a lot. I just like him because he is clearly the lead back, both in terms of carries, probably only a 60-40 split. It's not an incredible split, but he's the lead back in terms of carries. He's the only back who projects to get like over one and a half targets out of this backfield. And he's doubled up Ronald Jones on red zone touches in the past two games they played together. All of those things tell me that if somehow the Bucks do, like somehow, as if it's like a really strange thing to say, like what if Tom Brady won a Super Bowl? Like if the Bucks come <laughs> out and win this game, Leonard Fournette will be in a decent spot. And I think he'll be like the opposite correlation play to like the Chiefs have success, which I think is what most people are playing. So from a game theory perspective, if I'm playing Bucks heavy lineups, which I know I'm going to have probably over the field on four, two and five, one Bucks sacks, I think he probably ends up making more of my lineups than he makes of the field's lineups, you know, proportionally. Yeah, I mean, Fournette's the pass catcher, so he does make some sense if you assume that this team gets down in games and Fournette maybe as a ceiling target game. I mean, it's in the realm of possibility. Ultimately, he's not really priced to pay with Rojo being a little bit cheaper on the slate. I think Rojo's ownership comes up maybe at the expense of Fournette, but we'll see this as we continue to roll through the week. But there's 160-ish, a little bit more, watching the stream right now. Thank you guys for being on here. We appreciate you very much. Hit the thumbs up button while you're here. Subscribe to the channel. We recently hit 50K subscribers, so thank you very much for that. Now on Twitter, we are on pace for 30,000, and we need your help to get there. So head over to the Osmo underscore com Twitter handle. Give us a follow to stay up to date on all Osmo content. We would greatly appreciate it. Benefits everyone on the team, including Kyle and myself. Thank you guys who have already done so. Going to the wide receiver position, Kyle, this will obviously be a popular position because of the quarterbacks we have on the slate. So we're going to see a lot of Kelsey. We're going to see a lot of Hill. I think we'll see slightly less Tampa Bay pass catchers, but they still should be popular in their own right. For Kansas City, it's very hard to play both Hill and Kelsey with Mahomes stacks. You're basically punting the rest of your roster if you're doing so, particularly if you're playing one of them in the captain slot. So Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we move on to the ancillary pass catchers, do you have a preference between Hill and Kelsey? Yeah, I think this is another one where I don't have a strong preference in terms of projection, but because of that, I do think the field will generally lean towards uh, towards Travis Kelsey. He's had just this like monstrous run in the playoffs, and there hasn't been a game where Tyreek Hill led this trio since the last time they played the Bucks. actually, I believe it was. That was like week 12, so it's been like half of an NFL season since we had Tyreek Hill be the top scorer of this team. It's been every single game since then. Lots of Travis Kelsey with some Mahomes mixed in. Maybe that sort of recency bias seeps in and we get some people not uh, like respecting Tyreek Hill's upside, which I think is, I mean, I guess it's technically like higher than Travis Kelsey's based on what we've seen, but in terms of just what we think they can score, 
They're basically identical. I think you get a slight price and ownership discount on Tyreek Hill. So I think he's probably my preferred play, but it's flipping coins where I think I have a 51 or 2% edge on Tyreek Hill versus Kelsey. Honestly, I think if you're playing multiple lineups, you spread your exposure to both of them. If you're playing them both in the same lineup, make sure you're getting contrarian in some fashion or another. But ultimately, I'm with you. I think just taking the slight salary savings with Tyreek Hill is the way I'll go. But I am going to be exposed heavily to both of these players. So I don't want to tell you guys I'm picking between Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Never that. Never that. But for the ancillary pass catchers in Kansas City, this could be a potential edge spot. We have a lot of uncertainty with Sammy Watkins making his return. Not only that, but Byron Pringle played more than Nicole Hardman and Demarcus Robinson last week, which came out of left field for me. I'm not sure if it's a trend that will continue. They kind of had that game controlled. It, it wasn't, you know, a huge margin of victory, but that game was, wasn't really as close as the score seemed. They did control it a lot, so potentially maybe that's why Pringle played more. What are we doing with the ancillary Chiefs pass catchers? Yeah, I think for me, we could get another situation where sort of like Ronald Jones, probably to a lesser extent, Demarcus Robinson having like a pretty clear role over the past few weeks, obviously with Sammy Watkins out, could end up getting maybe more ownership than I'm comfortable with. Sammy Watkins, it's one final time, one last ride. We get to play Sammy Watkins in showdown in you know, the small contest. And the thesis has always been a guy who runs uh, routes on 75% of Mahomes dropbacks probably has a good chance of putting up a good game. Does that ever work after week one of the NFL season? It doesn't seem like it, but I do think, you know, he averaged 5.5 targets per game in his healthy games this year. Not even the games that like he, he left pretty early in one of them was dinged up in his final game of the regular season without even ruling those out five and a half targets per game. I think it was like 35 or so routes per game. That's a lot of hypothetical volume. He seems to never want to convert on it, but that's a lot of hypothetical volume. And I don't think, you know, as the number two receiver, who's not incredibly expensive, you know, he's less than, than Hardman. I think I'd probably like be going over the field up until like 25 to 30%. And right now our ownership is at like 15%. So I think he is probably my favorite of all of these guys. I, I think maybe there's like some Millie maker level interest in Byron Pringle. Not that I think like, Five weeks ago, I probably would have said he, he runs three routes. It's really interesting, though, like you said, that he was actually like clearly run or seemed to be running as that number two receiver, sort of that like Sammy Watkins style role where the other guys just mix in as the number three and he's the number two. Maybe he sort of takes control of the number three receiver role. It's, again, only a Millie Maker level play, but I do think I think our ownership on him is, is exactly what I project at. It's less than 5%. That kind of play where maybe he gets like 20 routes, like it's possible. I don't think it's incredibly likely, but 20 routes for Patrick Mahomes to maybe throw you the football is worth chasing at 5% in the Millie Maker. Outside of that, I probably won't have much of him. Yeah, I think Pringle's interesting for the role change. Ultimately, I think this becomes a timeshare. The player I think who has the most interest for me is still Watkins because of the role he played this year. But there's actually a question from Gregory MacArthur in chat. It's Hardman or Watkins. I want to go into this a little bit. Sammy Watkins, I don't think his role is secure, although he played an every down role earlier this season. We've just seen other players perform in his absence. Miko Hardman, we know, is essentially a gadget player. He played less than Byron Pringle in their most recent game. He played less snaps than Demarcus Robinson when Sammy Watkins was hurt during the regular season. 
With that said, when Miko Hardman comes on the field, he is getting those gadget style plays. We just mentioned Demarcus Robinson played more raw snaps. Miko Hardman had more raw targets. So Miko Hardman, when he's out there, his speed and athleticism just warrants itself more to those gadget style plays. I think it's more secure that Miko Hardman has those type of plays drawn up for him in the Super Bowl rather than Sammy Watkins, you know, winning one-on-one routes by himself. I think you're actually getting a more secure projection with Miko Hardman if that makes sense. What do you make of that dichotomy? Yeah, I think I'm still on on Sammy Watkins. Just you given, would be. I can't. I can't stop, man. It's like, well, it's the thing you talked about earlier. Is that when Sammy Watkins was healthy, like Michael Hardman, it's not like he was the number three receiver. He was like legit half special teams, like punt returns, and then mixing in some. Like, well, Demarcus Robinson ran more routes. Now, I think as the stakes get higher and higher, like we literally see this both like anecdotally from Andy Reid and empirically. I think it was uh, Eric Eager from PFF measured like scheme uniqueness. And Andy Reid's like scheme uniqueness, basically just what he's doing in the regular season versus as you move into the postseason, he gets more and more different from the rest of the NFL as the season goes on. And that's kind of the narrative around the Chiefs is that they sort of play play soft and like just do the generic stuff and win their 14 games in the regular season. And then they really turn it on high. It would make some sense following that logic, which both anecdotally and empirically can be proven that Michael Hardman would have more equity, both in terms of gadget plays, in terms of targets even in this game but is that enough for me to feel confident pushing him ahead of Sammy Watkins who who just ran straight up as the number two whenever he was healthy full-time that's not enough it's enough for me to say even though Demarcus Robinson ran more routes in the regular season than Michael Hardman I would still take Hardman over Robinson yeah I'll make that jump I won't jump him ahead of Watkins is where I'd probably break that yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I just wanted to bring up a contrarian viewpoint. I, ultimately, you're playing attachments to Patrick Mahomes. And because of the uncertainty, I think these are players we want to take shots on. If there's a huge Patrick Mahomes game and it doesn't come through Hill, or even if those players just have a modest game and like Michael Hartman catches a huge touchdown and you predict that correctly, I think that's a big edge on the field just because those players all being active will cannibalize each other as far as ownership goes a little bit. But let's pivot over to the Tampa Bay side. Most of these Tampa Bay pass catchers, not most, all of them are cheaper than the top Chiefs players. So you're getting a price discount on guys like Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and of course, Antonio Brown. The difficult thing this season with them has been predicting who scores the touchdowns and who gets the targets. And AB appears that he'll be back in the fold at full capacity. That's at least how he's practiced this week. So what are you doing with the Tampa Bay pass catchers? How do you break down this timeshare? Yeah, I mean, throughout the playoffs, it's hard to say because we had Mike Evans didn't look like he was going to. After he hurt his knee in, I think it was week 17, this was like, oh, does he play at all in the playoffs? And he ended up playing throughout the entirety of the playoffs, although reportedly it didn't seem like he might have been 100% early. So he still led the team in air yards through, you know, wild card through up until the Super Bowl. But Chris Godwin did see more targets. Their projection between those two probably means that they project quite similarly. I do think throughout much of the season, though, like we clearly saw Mike Evans was dominating Chris Godwin in targets, especially when they had Antonio Brown. It was more like, I, I mean, Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown were basically neck and neck in target share and air yard share. And Mike Evans was ahead of all of them. Despite that, we still have, you know, Chris Godwin, who is slightly more expensive, also being more popular. I don't know. To me, that seems like a, one of these like Tyreek Hill, Mike, uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey things where. I don't have some wild projection where I'm like Mike Evans runs laps around Chris Godwin, but he was getting more volume throughout the, you know, the regular season that they played with a B and then in the playoffs, he's gotten massively more air yards, although the targets have kind of shifted back towards Godwin. If I think they're similar, I'm going to take the one who's both cheaper and less owned. 
I think I'll probably end up by that logic pushing a lot towards Mike Evans. And I do think he's probably the player who would have the highest ceiling as well because he's used like a goal line back sometimes. Like he has the <laughs> iconic, like what was it? Two, 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 two line, right? It was two, two catches, both of which were on the one yard line, both of which came for touchdowns, I believe. So I think he does have more touchdown equity and probably doesn't lose a ton in like a hundred yard bonus equity either because they use him downfield. So I think his range probably has a higher like 90th percentile outcome than Godwin and he's going to be lower owned and lower priced. So to me, it's like small edges that I'm going to try and push really hard by playing a lot of Evans over Godwin. I honestly don't mind playing Antonio Brown over them both too in certain constructions. And it's because Antonio Brown right now he's projected to come in with lower ownership. He's about 15% less owned than Mike Evans and a little bit more compared to Chris Godwin. So Antonio Brown, I think it's partially because of the injury and we just haven't seen him lately. He's also ran as the number three in most situations with those other two on the field, but you're still getting a receiver that's essentially an every down player. So I I like Antonio Brown. Do you have any interest in him? I like that too. I think because exactly what I said, we in the, I think it was week nine through week 17, we had, he was just behind Chris Godwin in target share and he was just ahead of, uh, he was just ahead of Godwin in air yard share. They were essentially getting the same role, you know, give or take different weeks but he's so much cheaper and he's going to be so much lower owned. I'm probably going to have over the field on both of the non Chris Godwin trio. And uh, just, you know, Chris Godwin buries me, he buries me, but given their volume to ownership discrepancy, that seems like it would be sharp to me. And I do like, like we have our, in fantasy cruncher, we have the ceiling projection of Antonio Brown is is basically in line. It's, you know, within two or three points of both these guys, but he's so much cheaper and he's going to be less popular. Would you even go as far as to put a B in captain? Cause I'm going to be over the field on him and flex. I'm kind of debating on who these like Leonard Fournette, Antonio Brown, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, like players who like realistically, if they score twice could lead the slate in scoring. If I'm going to play those types of plays in the captain in like the play action, you know, the 500,000 entries. I would prefer Antonio Brown over the backs. And I do think there's a little bit of an edge to captaining players like Antonio Brown. This again is in the largest of tournaments, the play action, the Millie maker. That's where I think you're getting the most leverage with this. If you're playing a hundred man tournament, there's no need to captain Antonio Brown, unless you just legitimately think our projections are extremely wrong and you think he's the highest scoring player, but I would not bet on that for any sort of, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I mean, in a hundred man, I would only I would only play Patrick Mahomes. I wouldn't play anyone else. Our projection on Patrick Mahomes is so wildly ahead of anyone else. As you move into other contests, I would definitely start getting into basically once you get to like a thousand people. I think it's realistically, I just probably play all of the Chiefs. Like I just play Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey a ton over Patrick Mahomes, and then use him into flex. And then as you move into like 20, 30, 50,000, that's where I'm comfortable getting to my like, well, what if the Bucks win by 10 points? That's where I'm comfortable getting to those weird pivots. 5,000 or even 10,000 or less, I'm probably just splitting my ownership straight up between Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey at the captain spot. That makes sense to me. We haven't talked about the Bucks tight ends, and we need to talk about them, I think, in accordance with these pass catchers. One thing I think people aren't really realizing is Antonio Brown's reemergence could affect the rate at which Tampa Bay plays 12 personnel. I don't think we'll see as much Bray and Gronk on the field at the same time, especially if they're losing and they're in more of a pass-heavy script. I think it's more likely that we see Gronk because of his blocking and Braid move back into a complementary role. That's not to say Braid is a bad play by any means, but do you, do you have any read on the player personnel packages and how these tight ends could be deployed? 
Yeah, I do think it is probably uh, less than or more than coincidental, less than coincidental that whenever Antonio Brown has been out of the lineup just recently, that's when we see the uptick in rate volume. It's exactly like you said, if you don't, uh, you know, the choice between Scotty Miller and, and Cam Brate is much more of a 50 50 as opposed to Antonio Brown, who's like one of the best receivers of the post 2000. So I do think that probably means we see less of rate. And it's just because throughout the entirety of the actual regular season, when they had Antonio Brown, it's not like we were getting these big rate spike weeks. Anyways, it was a lot of Gronk and Brait used mostly as a backup. Even if Gronk is like primarily a, bl- a blocker, anytime they like move out of like, they have you know, a run setup and they audible out of that, that means you're getting a little bit of equity there. And even if it's just like red zone work where you want to have the appearance of having a blocker or something, you know, these big sets where you end up running pass plays out of them. Like that's all chances that Gronk has that Bray never getting on the field does not have. And their ownership right now, we have their ownership as essentially the same 2% different, but because Gronk is prices come down so much, like deservedly. So I think he has like seven targets in the playoffs. It hasn't been a great run <laughs> for him. Uh, you know, I had some, I uh, had some Gronk in like the FFPC challenge and some of the best ball stuff. I feel great about getting him into the into the Super Bowl. You know, you always want your players to get in the Super Bowl, and it really feels sharp getting seven targets but making it to the Super Bowl. But we do have – because he's 3,000 and Brait got all the way up to nearly 5,000, his value is so much better than Cameron Brait's, and their ownership is the same. It's another one of these things where I think it's, it's probably a small edge. The value actually has a pretty decent edge towards Gronk, though, that, like, if they project as one is clearly a better value and he's going to be 2% more owned – Brake kind of pushes up against uh, against X out territory for me, just because Gronk projects so much better at his price, and the field doesn't seem to recognize that. Yeah, I agree with you. Ultimately, even looking at last week, Gronk played way more snaps. He blocks a lot, but he also ran more routes than yes. Brake. I know Brake was more targeted, but we have a large sample of Gronk working ahead of Brake. So we're in lockstep with our views there. Before we move on to some general roster construction strategies, we'll bridge the gap a little bit by talking defensive special teams and kicker strategy. So, These are things we need to discuss on showdown, obviously, because we just have a limited player pool. And typically these type of players, players, I'll call them, but the defensive players and the kickers, they come in under owned. Now on this particular slate, it doesn't appear that the defenses are going to be particularly good plays because we have Patrick Mahomes on one side and Tom Brady on the other, but crazier things have happened. And in showdowns, it isn't out of the realm of possibility. You know, a kickoff gets returned or there's a pick six and then the quarterbacks still get there. Oftentimes a defensive score helps put quarterbacks in the right situation to bring out those ceiling performances. So my first question to you is, do you have interest in either defenses in this particular game? Yeah, I'll probably end up getting to like a over the field on both defenses in these large contests. It's sort of the same thing. We're always looking at in 500,000 entries, 650,000 entries, how much are you willing to give up to build a lineup that is both high leverage and literally just not built by a hundred other people? Like I think the the EV, the equity, the chance at making money over the largest sample might take 10 years for you to ever realize. I mean, it like 650,000 opponents and you get 150 shots, like it's going to take you like 20 to 50 to hundred years to ever actually realize your equity. That doesn't mean you don't want to play in the optimal play style. It just means that you have to understand you're taking this long, long, long-term mindset in, you know, from that perspective, I'm trying to enter the best lineups. I'm giving up a lot of projected points. I think that's a perfectly fine strategy to go with these contrarian defense builds. And it doesn't have to be like, Oh, what if the game scores 13 points? Like, you know, the, what the Rams uh, Rams Patriots Super Bowl, which, Two great offenses, they scored like combined less than 20 or something. It doesn't have to be that. It's exactly like you said. When we have these high scoring games, like 
there's a chance that kickoff return. There's going to be a lot of kickoffs. There's, you know, there's going to be a lot of dropbacks. And we know touchdowns are going to often come from dropbacks, whether it's sack fumbles, interceptions, like these are all ways to rack up points and ultimately find a touchdown, which is really what you need to make the optimal lineup. Or it goes 13 to three, which I don't have projected. So I do think these defenses just as throw in pieces, not like, oh, what if, you know, Mahomes gets sacked nine times, just on the off chance that something weird happens, they're going to be under owned in the largest field contests. Kind of feel the same way about kickers. I actually probably feel a little bit better about the kickers. Yeah, the kickers, I, I will say, never captain kickers. It's a terrible idea. But as far Alex as Phil- is not going to be happy. In the middle of the season, I think he was captaining kickers like every single night. I think he stopped too. I think he, he stopped doing that. But there was a stretch where he was just like, going to have 10% kicker captain again. <laughs> that is that is not a strategy I, I'm willing to take. But I will say it'll be unique, I suppose, in the Super Bowl slate. But I, I don't. It. I don't think we I don't think we see a kick kicker captain, but as far as including them in your builds, I think you should. I don't think they're the type of players you should have, you know, 50% exposure to or anything like that. But if a kicker fits, a kicker fits is honestly my mentality in a high scoring slate like this. There there's a chance that they end up in the optimal lineup. Is is that how, kind of how you view kicker too? Yeah, I do think in this game, it seems like, like sure, kickers don't have access to touchdowns and we expect a lot of touchdowns to be scored. But like red zone efficiency is quite fluky. We both we know that both of these teams are going to be making a lot of trips to the red zone and inside their opponent's territory. But like also like nothing, there's nothing Bruce Arians loves more to wake up in the morning and think about how he's going to jam Leonard Fournette in the backs of his linemen. If they get into <laughs> opponent territory and do two first and 10, second and 10 runs, like you have good field goal equity. So I think because people perceive kickers as low ceiling plays, which sure, they probably have a lower ceiling than Michael Hartman. Like legitimately, Michael Hartman could do like the, you know, the Henry Ruggs, two, two or three <laughs> targets for a hundred and a touchdown. Sure, kicker doesn't have that upside, but kicker has like 20, 15 point upside. And if this game just sees a lot of the scoring go towards the studs and the ancillary pieces don't hit, a 10 point game from a kicker could be all you need to get you there. And I don't think people are in a game that expects to score a lot of points going to be particularly inclined to go towards these kickers in the flex, just as much as, you know, a a Daryl or, or, you know, an AB or or Clyde or someone like that. So I probably end up over the field on these guys just because they have good, good projections and probably their ownership doesn't reflect that. I'm not capping them. And I think the reason Alex said he stopped capping them is that when you captain them, you would save so much salary that like you're just building the same, like you're 4% kicker captain. If that's the ownership, every one of those 4% played kicker and then played the studs of some variation. So even by that measure, you weren't getting as unique as you thought you were. So you have to give up so many points that uh, I think, I think he stopped. Maybe I'd have to ask him. Actually, I looked at his, uh, looked at his uh, build, his overall build from one of the playoff slates, a lot of kicker. I don't think it was captain though. Yeah, I, I mean, all that makes sense. But I, as long as we're talking about these these strategies, we'll just get over into some roster construction strategies for the Super Bowl, for DFS, for the shutdown slate. But before we get there, about 200 of you watching, thank you guys for being here. Hit that thumbs up button. Of course, if you didn't know about our podcast network, we have a full podcast network available everywhere you can find podcasts. I know not all of you are available every time we have these live shows, and it's not always the most convenient thing to keep your phone open to the browser while you're watching the YouTube videos. So if you ever miss the show, head over to Apple, wherever else you find podcasts. You can also leave a five-star review on one of the podcasts that gives you a chance to win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. But again, you can also find these on other platforms. And thank you if you've already hit the thumbs up button. Getting into some roster construction 
topics. What I really want to talk about here with the Millie Maker and some other immense tournaments on the slate is how we can remain contrarian, but do so in a smart way with our roster constructions. So I have a few questions for you. The first one is a popular strategy we hear around the industry. It's about leaving salary on the board. And this is one you need to be careful with because you're kind of towing the line between being contrarian, being unique, but then you're obviously taking lesser projected plays for that reason. Now, this is usually a strategy best left for the large tournaments, but how are you approaching this this strategy of leaving salary on the table? Yeah, so I saw a tweet from Cody Main, does really good showdown stuff, and just tweets it out for free, just a just real homie. And it like it was very <laughs> clear that there were like these tier levels of like people are the most duplicated lineups are like the fifty thousand and the forty nine thousand nine hundred dollar lineups. And in like my ten thousand or five thousand, if I'm building lineups in Fantasy Cruncher, I just set a limit. I'm playing forty eight, forty nine thousand eight hundred or less, which like you don't give up a ton of projection, but you immediately cut your dupes by like like five to ten percent. That's a pretty solid edge. And then there's another tier where the next two hundred are are pretty duped as well. So it's probably like the people setting my kind of rule where they're like, I'll leave a little bit on the table, but they're not willing to go crazy with it. And then there it kind of scales gradually down after that. In the largest contest, I think the the most I would ever like in the five hundred thousand entries, I would not play any of the top four hundred dollar like levels. I, I just like, you're getting so many dupes there and you're not sacrificing a ton in projection. Now, would I play less than 5,000? Probably not. I, I don't think so. Maybe if you build 150, the 150th gets there, but I would at least in the large contest lop up for me, I'm lopping off the first $400 values, not playing any of those in smaller contests. I think just getting a little unique, like a thousand people, you don't have to get that unique. You're not fighting off this army of dupes just lopping off the top hundred dollars. You're not using the max salary. Cause there are people who that is like a, a heuristic that they have that they want to, which is in some sense true. If salary is perfect. The more salary you spend, the more points you get. And salary is good. It's not perfect, but it's good. So they want to spend all of the, all the dollars. I'll give a little bit of the dollars up knowing that it gets me some better first place solo equity and largest contest. I, I'm just not playing any of the, the top salary options. Cause I know that I probably gain more first place and solo equity even at the cost of some projection, although I don't think it's that much projection in the first like five or 600. As you get past a thousand, you're getting thin, but I still think you can even go down to as much as like 15 or 2000 to get unique in the 650,000 entries. And the reason we don't have to leave 5,000 on the table or something like that is because there are ways to be unique within the constructs of the rosters without leaving that much. There's certain strategies where you can play five chiefs or five Buccaneers and one on the other side and try to remain at least somewhat contrarian within that. So I want to ask you about those sort of builds and looking at alternative game environments. So say Tampa Bay gets up by two scores. And again, for the chat, these are not the most likely outcomes, but when you're playing showdown, it's best to tell yourself some sort of story. So your roster is at least unique and it makes sense. So onslaughts like that, if you're building towards Tampa Bay five ones, I think you're playing maybe some of the running backs and, and things like that. And they will be more contrarian than maybe your three threes and all of your builds that are balanced, but what are you doing really with onslaughts? How do you approach those builds? Yeah, I think the most, my, my guess would be the most common builds in this game are going to be four, two chiefs, three, three chiefs, and then probably three, three bucks. I'm just like going to, I'm going to roll those out. Probably. I'm not playing any four, two chiefs. If I'm playing the chiefs, 
Chiefs are going to score a lot of points. Let's go Chiefs. And if I'm playing the Bucks, I can probably be a little more a little more liberal with how I do it because less people are just overall going to play the Bucks. And I do think there's a very solid chance that the Chiefs just go out and put up a ton of points and then that the Bucks spread it out and their cheap guys end up being the best plays. So if I'm onslaughting, it, it's probably a lot of Chiefs onslaughts and then still some Bucks. But I do think it's the it's the same thing with salary. You know, at the time you get to leaving five thousand on the table, there were better ways to get unique. At the time where I'm playing, you know, the 100th 5-1 Bucks lineup, I probably could have gotten unique elsewhere and made a better lineup. So for me, I'm trying to sort of polarize my lineups. I think any form of uh, of like 5-1s are probably better than just the same like projected 3-3. I even think maybe there's some equity in going down to like 2-4s, especially for maybe the Chiefs, because if the Chiefs lose this game, but t- like you could see a game where the Chiefs lose, but Tyreek puts up 150 and two or something just because their players have tighter distribution of targets. They have two number one receivers and like a chasm to their next player. Whereas the Bucks in any given game have like potentially three number one receivers, two viable tight ends, and then some backup receivers who are at least talented. I don't know if they'll get the ball much, but I think maybe some like Chiefs 2-4 or Chiefs 5-1, and then a little bit more loose with how I can play the Bucks because we just know Bucks have like Bucks captain lineups are not going to be as popular already. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what I'm looking at doing as well. And I, I think one other way you can remain contrarian is just look at the captain slot. Obviously, this is a huge way to draw unique lineups because people want to captain the studs. They want to capture Brady and Mahomes, you know the rest. So if you captain someone like an Antonio Brown, I think you don't necessarily have to play all these contrarian plays or leave a ton of salary on the board because you've already gained your leverage in the captain slot. Are you typically doing that in your larger fields or how are you, how are you approaching the captain slot? Yeah, I think in the largest fields, I'm probably going to skew towards like maybe Tyreek ends up being my only like chalky captain. Like I call the chalky captains, the quarterbacks, and then the chief studs after that, you're getting pretty solid ownership discounts on the, the Bucks receivers. Maybe I'm getting some Tyreek, but it's probably it's probably just Tyreek. And then like, let's hope the, the Bucks win and you get, you know, some some Browns, some some uh, Evans double touchdown. I think even moving down to like a, a Leonard Fournette is a contrarian play in the mid stakes, you know, anything like 5,000, 10,000, just getting a little like there's a balancing act. And I think the balancing act favors more of like, you don't have to get too weird. You don't have to play Leonard Fournette or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You can still build a unique lineup in a 5,000, 1,000 person contest that features Tyree Kill in another pivot or two. So just, uh, you know, it's always that sliding scale. We want to max out uniqueness and max out like uh, leverage in these 500,000 person contests. One way to do that would be like Leonard Fournette, like Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, Bucks onslaught. I don't think you need to get that weird in a contest where you're trying to beat 900 people. So for me, I really like Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey at captain as like just slight leverage plays off of Mahomes. In the just midfield contest, in the large field, I probably am. Like, I like that Brown call. I think I'll probably end up on the back of that playing a lot of, like, Brown-Evans type uh, type lineup. So, for me, it's sort of just the skill position players and which ones I choose depends on my contest size. There you have it. Thank you guys all for watching today. Hit the thumbs up on the way out. We have a ton of shows coming up today, tomorrow. Later today, we have NFL shows, UFC shows. There's a big card tonight. NBA shows, it is all here. Tomorrow, we have the mega three-hour Super Bowl show, including a live before lock. You'll find Lafayette, Ben, Alex. You'll even find Kyle and myself at different points in the day tomorrow. So make sure to check all that out, all the coverage you need ahead of the Super Bowl. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski. You can find Kyle at Kyle Tweets here. We will both be back tomorrow. So good luck, everybody. We will see you then.